Dennis, uh, you've certainly been doing a lot of practicing and teaching of herbal medicine over the last, well, 40 years. And uh, we're looking at um, some of the changes, perhaps, that you've noticed and something, mm. some cases that show that. Look, there are significant changes, Jane. We've touched on this topic before, and I've mentioned previously the way in which uh, credibility has uh, now become uh, something that we experience in the profession, which wasn't there 40 years ago. And I want to give a couple of examples of that to point out the distance that professional herbal medicine has come in my lifetime. 216, but we're going to take a look today, Dennis, as well, mm. at some of the changes that you've noticed. And look, there have been a lot of changes in, in 40 years, Jane, and uh, We've touched on them, as I've said earlier. Um, things, for instance, like the, the literature base now associated with the practice of modern herbal medicine, that has been established in the 40 years that I've been in the profession. Uh, books like, for instance, the, the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia of 1983, a, a text uh, written by medical practitioners, pharmacists and herbalists coming together to produce what I still consider to be the most important uh, textbook on herbal medicine produced in the 20th century. That didn't exist when I started practicing and teaching. And when I discovered the text, it changed my life. It literally lifted my game as far as lecturing was concerned and gave me a basis for prescribing uh, that has never left me. Uh, other things, for instance, the herbal renaissance as we call it, that began all around the Western world in the 1970s. That uh, was something that had an incredible impact also because what it did was bring out of the cupboard, so to speak, uh, herbalism, which had been, if you like, hiding or put down for so many years, so many decades. Uh, it had been considered to be quackery and not relative to the modern world. The, the herbal renaissance, which was very big in the US, but equally big here in Australia, where particularly in Sydney, um, Dorothy Hall at Balmain and myself at Glebe were considered to be, if you like, those that spearheaded the renaissance of herbal medicine, both in education and practice. There's some of the things that has happened, but the thing that's happened and, and is, is occurring, which is great to see, is what I consider to be the credibility now associated with professional herbal medicine. And this is evidenced by the way in which uh, many uh, conventional medical practitioners, indeed uh, some practicing at a specialist level, acknowledge the benefits of traditional herbal medicine in addressing particularly chronic disease. Now, I don't really see a role for herbal medicine in managing acute disease. Mainstream Western medicine is superb at that. But in the area of chronic civilizational disease, things like, for instance, chronic sinusitis, that's an area a typical of the areas in which practitioners of complementary medicine, such as myself who specialize in herbal medicine, that's an area of chronicity which yields very frequently pleasant results which sometimes are superior to those results which have been capable of being achieved within the mainstream. For instance, uh, I was encouraged to touch on this topic today. 
because my last patient yesterday at New Lambton was a gentleman that's just come back from basically uh, a tour of Southeast Asia. And this gentleman has been what you might refer to as a chronic upper respiratory tract sufferer, chronic sinusitis, chronic rhinitis, whose whole life has been characterised by running nose, sneezing, redness of the eyes, nasal blockage, all those things that people that suffer sinusitis and rhinitis are familiar with, and those wretched things also that our ear, nose and throat specialists have so much to, to, to address. This chap unfortunately had not uh, done well within the mainstream. His condition was chronic. And so about three or four months ago, maybe a little bit longer, um, he, we, we put him on a, a combination of herbs that in Asia, it's known as MBC, minor bupurum compound. It's the predominant uh, how can you call it, anti-allergic formula used in Asia, particularly in Japan. Uh, so we put him on a, a modern pre uh, rendition of that together with uh, bioflavonoids, and you've heard me talk about bioflavonoids. So that combination, if you like, of nutritional therapy, i.e. the bioflavonoids with bromelain and a bit of vitamin C in the combination, and the use of herbs, has seen that gentleman for the first time, for the first time, continually free of upper respiratory tract distress. And yesterday I had the, uh, well, the lovely occasion to say, look, I'm finished with you. I don't want to see you again. The condition is resolved. And he said, I know it's resolved. He said, I've never felt so well in my life. Now, what am I saying? The credibility of herbal medicine is seen now and acknowledged because his own respiratory specialist basically blessed him in that Using this system of medicine, he'd been able to get a result that was not capable of being obtained with all that was thrown at him by the mainstream. Now, there's no boasting in this because sometimes herbal medicine won't do as good as that. But it's good to see, and this is the point, in 40 years, it's good to see credibility being given to a system which practised today in the modern world is dependent upon the two pillars of tradition and increasingly science. And it's the scientific component that uh, I've had a lot to do with. In fact, uh, on my property in the Hutter Valley, uh, one of my students that's been with me since the 70s, uh, Dr. Andrew Pengelly, who did his PhD at, uh, at the Arimba campus of the University of Newcastle when he was lecturing in herbal therapies there, he has spearheaded uh, the pushing of phytochemistry or the scientific explanation of herbs and has done a great job in establishing credibility. We owe a lot to people like Dr. Pengeli and others that have participated in this credibility situation, reinforcing tradition with modern science. Uh, Karen has rung in from Salamander Bay. Karen, you want to know about restless legs, do you? Yes, I do. Yeah. Hello, yes. Karen. Hi, Dennis. How Hello. long have you been suffering from them, Karen? Um, only probably for about 12 months. Okay. Do they come on suddenly or gradually? Oh, well, I'm a nurse, so yes. when I'm on my legs all the time, yes. that's fine. But the yes. minute I get home okay. and I want to relax, yes. that's when okay. I get them. Look, I'll mention a couple of things. Um, restless legs, I think, is one of those conditions for which there's no specific uh, causative 
explanation. So I approach it from a number of different perspectives. I think one of the things, and you probably have done this, but one of the things you should try is a combination of calcium and magnesium. That that shouldn't be overlooked. And in my years of doing radio programs and talking about restless legs, I've had confident feedback from many listeners to say that quietly persevering with a dual mineral supplement of calcium and magnesium, that that has eased the condition for them. So I would suggest a starting base there. Secondly, secondly, however, there is a herb that I use frequently, although not for this condition. There, there's a herb called cramp bark. Now, I know you've got restless legs, which doesn't necessarily equate with cramping of the legs, but the herb cramp bark does seem to have a relaxant effect on the musculature and is, oh, okay. used, is used generally as a relaxant on the, on the periphery. So I would suggest again uh, that you factor in your treatment, the getting hold of a preparation from your pharmacy or your health food store. You're at Valentine. Uh, there's a good health food store out there where you are at Warner's Bay. Um, you can go and get something with cramp bark in it and give it a, a run as well. And the, mm-hmm. the other suggestion is on the basis that there could be some circulatory factor involved in this, don't overlook the herb that we frequently talk about on the program, which has a reputation for peripheral conditions, and that is the herb ginkgo biloba. Okay, I've never heard of that. You've never heard of ginkgo? Oh dear. Well, okay. Uh, this, ginkgo, yes. Ginkgo, yes, ginkgo biloba is the uh, is uh, a herb that we frequently talk about, and whilst it has multiple benefits, it's not well known that its promotion of peripheral circulation, particularly where that circulation may be minimally impaired, that's one of its major indications. I I would be surprised, uh, Judith, if using those three hints, you didn't get some benefit. Don't try them all at once, that's shotgun therapy. Um, (laughs) give, Give each one of them a try for say a month or so. If you're getting a bit, of, if you're getting a hint of benefit within that period of time, well, stay with it a bit longer because these sorts of things uh, are not uh, how can you call them conventional drugs. They tend right. to grow on you and they tend to assert themselves over time. But I would certainly encourage you to do that. And I'm going to say something here that will shoot all the science out of the <laughs> in the air from what I'm going to say. They'll say, here's this quack Dennis Stewart talking again. But listen, <laughs> don't overlook, don't overlook the use of a tablespoonful of pure honey before you go to bed. Oh, okay, Ben. Now, I know that sounds very left field, but... Uh, from the, from the moment I read many years ago Dr. Jarvis's book, Folk Medicine, uh, and up until I've read the recent medical literature coming out of the US uh, on honey, uh, mm-hmm. I am more convinced than ever, more convinced than ever, that there is more in honey than sweetness. And a, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of uh, people that listen to this program have subsequently contacted me vouching for the efficacy of honey in addressing many things Give it a go. It's not going to cost well, you very much. It, yes, we do do that at work as well. Honey does. It's a good remedy. It is indeed. But give yourself a tablespoonful. Mm-hmm. Anything less than that is not likely to do much for you, particularly if you want to get it to assert itself of some benefit when you're relaxing and particularly when right. perhaps you want to go to bed and get some sleep. 
Okay, that, that's great. Thank Give it a you try. so much. Give it a try. Thanks Judith. for your call, Karen. And 49216 is the number to ring if you've got a question for Dennis today. Judith has rung that number from Valentine. And uh, redness on your face is a problem, is it? Yes, it is. A concern, we'll say. Hi, Dennis. Hello, it, Judith. It covers, How are you? Uh, good, thanks. How are you? I'm well indeed. It's the, very embarrassing. Mm. It covers the whole side of one face. Okay. It's, it's, happened, it's been happening for about three months. And it happens okay. about once or twice a week. Okay. And yesterday it was that bad, I felt embarrassed, I had to come home from shopping. Okay. Look, have you had it investigated? No, not okay. yet. But it sounds to me as if it could be what's called rosacea, which is a condition that is very, very common, particularly in women. Uh, and it manifests itself in redness and sometimes also uh, in, in pustular lesions. I, I think if I were you... Um, I would get looked at by your GP, oh, okay. and and I, I'm sure an adequate diagnosis and getting onto it quickly uh, may be able to uh, to do something for it. Redness can be associated with infection. Redness can be associated with inflammation. Redness can be associated with hormonal factors. Um, are you are you menopausal? No, I'm 73. Okay, you, you don't okay. sound 73. Pretty, you're doing pretty well. You sound I know. good. Everybody you, says you that. You sound good. You've got a youthful voice. So. <laughs> well, I don't look it either, I believe. So well, well, that, well, 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 that's in your favour. Look, yes. uh, do that as a start off. But what I will do, what I will do, there is a homeopathic remedy that I frequently prescribe, particularly for women, and many of whom are menopausal. But and I know you're not menopausal, but that's not the issue. There is a, a homeopathic remedy called sanguinaria. Now, I'll spell it for you. I hope I can spell it. S-A-N-G-U-I-N-A-R-I-A. Sanguinaria. Sanguinaria. Yeah, and, and it's a homeopathic preparation, and it's in either the 4X or the 6X potency. Okay. Now, uh, I know that sounds a little bit esoteric. Um, it's not. A homeopathy, let me remind listeners is one of the most medically practised uh, complementary therapies. It's, it's taught academically in England. It's taught at the uh, Great Ormond Street Homeopathic Hospital. Um, in Europe, it's a popular therapy. Um, and despite the cynicism that's uh, delivered at it here by some in Australia, uh, the, the use of it in my practice over many years has validated its efficacy. Get, get your GP to look at it. If it, if it comes up as one of these nondescript things for which there is no easy explanation, and particularly if it's episodic, get, get some sanguinaria, 4X or 6X. Um, you may have difficulty getting it. If you do, give my rooms a ring. Will I get it Vitology? And, Julie, legs again. You've got cramps, yes. cramps in your legs? Um, well, aching legs, cramps, yeah, um... Uh, and I found, and I just wanted to know what Dennis thought mm. were on it, that um, tonic water before bed. Yes. Well, see, it has a... Of the quinine. Quinine. It has an explanation in it, which you've obviously caught up with. Uh, quinine, yes. it, uh, quinine is a well-known uh, alkaloid. It comes, yeah. it comes from a herb called quinchona, and the, the bark of, of quinchona uh, contains this alkaloid known as quinine. quinine. And, and quinine is used for multiple purposes. 
Uh, it's it's used it was used in the past even for addressing things like malaria, but it has yeah. had a history of benefit um, in this condition, albeit um, mm-hmm. using it in, in in concentrated dosages for extended periods of time mm. would be unwise. And, and as far mm. as I'm aware, mm. it's fallen out of popularity within mainstream medicine. But to be fair, the level that it would occur in tonic mm. water, and I drink a fair amount of tonic water myself. I love it, particularly yeah. in, 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 in hot weather when you get a, a very hot, a cold glass of, of tonic water with, with its bitter taste. Uh, yeah. really refreshing. Very you. refreshing, it, that's it, right, it, yeah. Look, the small amount yeah. of well, codeine I, I, in it. I, uh, six ounces, which is like three quarters of a cup, yeah, yeah. And uh, before bed, and it said yeah. once it subsides, yeah. then just stop. Yeah. Well, look, you know, once you get benefit from well, it, that's, then that's, you just... That's a good idea because, as uh, you would probably appreciate, some of these conditions come out of the blue and they, uh, can, they can be pushed into the distance. And sometimes yeah. using a simple technique like this resets yeah. the start button, so to speak. So, yeah. look, I would be very surprised if there would be a problem with this at all because, again, yeah. again, yeah. the products a drink that you can purchase, for goodness sake. Um, yeah, as long so, as I think you've got to get, like, a good quality one that actually says quinine. Correct. I've found that correct. the Sweps one is yep. the one to get. Yeah. Well, um, look, you've got a good result and it's understandable yeah. why you're doing that. And, yeah. and who am I to... Uh, to in any way at all criticise it, you've you've stumbled onto. I just onto. thought I'd mention it to yeah. those who were listening because yeah. I found it's really good. And but the only thing, there is one thing, uh, quinine. You can't take it with something else, and I can't remember what it was. It, it's not blood pressure. Is it blood pressure tablets or something? I'm not sure. But again, let me just point oh, out okay. here the amount yeah. that you, the amount that you would be taking. Yeah. The amount that you be would dangerous. be taking, in yeah. my opinion, would be very, 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 very mild. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for your call indeed. That could well be very helpful, Julie. We'll come back to the subject of legs in just a moment. But uh, Josephine has rung in on 49216216 from Bolwara and uh, we're changing the topic to headaches, Josephine. Yes, Dennis, hello. I um, have been diagnosed with migraine. Yes. And it started about 13 years ago in my mid-40s. And we all thought it was hormonal. Yes. Um, And then the headache started coming more often. Yes. um, About three or four years ago, Mm -hmm. they started coming just indiscriminately. And um, so I've been put on a migraine medication, mm-hmm. um, which is a vasoconstrictor. Yes. And um, but now I find that um, they come randomly, and I think that they could have something to do with my gut, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. But okay. some foods look, look up, what, I, what, I can't what, say. What, yeah, with migraines again have how can you call it, a very troublesome etiology. Uh, the management for them, as you've pointed out, involves uh, sometimes uh, straightforward blood pressure medication that has an effect on on the on the on the lumen, the the diameter of the blood vessels. I've not found that, in my experience, to be altogether that successful. Uh, but but um, there are a couple of options here, particularly for migraine, that I know have helped a lot of people. In fact. In my rooms yesterday, uh, a young lass from Newcastle who's now teaching in Broken Hill, I saw her probably 12 months ago. She was a chronic migraine sufferer, and she has now reached the point where she's virtually free of migraines and free of my medication. 
for the first time in her life. Now, it's not my medication, it's the herbs. And my suggestion would be that you just take a note of the herb fever fuel. Could you say that again, please? F-E-V-E-R, fever fuel, F-E-W. Yes. Tanacetum parthenium is its botanical name, but it's popularly known as, as fever fuel. Yes. Now, interestingly, and this is not well known, but the, her the herb rosemary occurs in all my migraine formulations based on the literature and on the tradition. It's a good companion with the herb fever fuel and yes. a herb that's perhaps difficult to get, but from a professional herbalist, it shouldn't be difficult to get, a herb called Jamaica dogwood. I know that sounds crazy. A lot of herbs have crazy names. Perhaps all herbalists are crazy. Sometimes I ask myself that question. But <laughs> Jamaica, but Jamaica dogwood is a big one in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia. You'll find it's very, very specifically indicated. Now, a combination of those herbs in a, in a liquid formula with the correct dosage, correct standardised herbs in my opinion, may be able to do a job of work for you in stopping these things occurring. That would be fabulous. Yep. Do you think it can be related to the gut? Oh, look, I know the gut's very popular at present, and I think I've seen things come in a bit of a cyclical form. The longer I stay in medicine, the more I begin to realise that to try to tie anything down to one thing is to perhaps, is perhaps to fall into a trap. I'm more interested in, in a pragmatic approach that says, okay, you've got a migraine headache. Here are some herbs that have been historically and increasingly scientifically shown to be useful as prophylactic devices. Thanks for your call, Josephine, and all the very best with that. Now, I did say we'd come back to legs. Sue has rung in from Cessnock. Sue, restless legs, and you've got some suggestions there. Well, yes, I... Um Listen to Dennis speaking earlier on in the piece, like, and, and I'm talking probably 12 months ago or so when you talked about using the natural honey. Oh, yes. The tablespoon yes. of natural honey. Yes. And I found that to work very well. Good. Um, but, you know, just, just to, buy to the, go to the supermarket and buy generic honey doesn't work. Mm. I found the raw honey was the best way to go. Well, you're preaching to the converted here because uh, yes. I, I keep bees. So you know, uh, okay. I, I, I have produced my own honey because I have the viewpoint, controversial as it may be, that the more you process honey from the hive, yes. the more you debilitate it. And the literature right. that I read, the latest literature that I referred to this morning, in fact, uh, basically gives credibility to honey that has not been processed. And yep. I've, I've got to be cautious what I say, but in my opinion, the yep. claims that are made for honey therapeutically are best made from honey that we get from our backyard and our local beekeepers. Go to the markets, go to the markets, get yep. genuine Australian honey, particularly around the Hunter Valley. Yes, absolutely. But another thing that I found that helped as well, my um, masseur told me his theory was that the sympathetic um, nervous, system. Oh, nervous system hadn't shut down properly. Mm. So he recommended actually getting up out of bed and doing some stretching that stretched those muscles through the back of the legs in particular mm. and, um, and then go back to bed. And I found that to be very helpful as well. Well, who can question that? Well, I mean, that's a novel way of addressing it, a, a novel theory. But if it's worked for you and it's worthwhile listeners 
um, knowing about it because if you if you have restless legs and you're not adequately getting to, to sleep, well, you may as well, well get out of bed in any case, do a few stretches, then get back into bed and see if it, if it works for you. Rosanna rang up. Dennis uh, from Ellamore Vale, and she rang to ask the name of the rosacea oh, product okay. that you mentioned. We mentioned a homeopathic preparation called Sanguinaria, S-A-N-G-U-I-N-A-R-I-A, Sanguinaria in a 4X or 6X homeopathic potency. Now, it's given me good results in some cases. It's not the answer to the condition, but it's worthwhile trying if nothing else works. Sanguinaria, 4X or 6X in a homeopathic preparation. Thanks for the call, Rosanna. And Leonie from Hamilton. Now, you've had a, well, it's been a a kind of a winter for colds and coughs and colds, perhaps. Um, You've had a problem for a while. Yes, I have. What have you tried, Leonie, to to try to bowl this over? (laughs) Just about everything. Uh, I had the head cold come on me with the nose and the eyes running, etc., etc. And I took Sambacol capsules. Mm the elderberry, and that was back on the, around about the 28th of July, and I kept it up, and about three days after I started taking them, it seemed to subside, and I thought, oh, thank God, I've got on top of it. Uh, Then back on the 5th of August, uh, full head cold again. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Have you used the Astragalus 8 formula? Yes, I've got um, Astragalus 8, which I do like normally. Yes, it's good. And you take it in the right dosage? Um, I've been taking, or is it two, two, is it two twice a day? Yeah, that's the tablet, is it? Yes, it's okay. like a big uh, pill that you would give a, okay. an animal. Well, <laughs> that, that, that's usually a, an effective <laughs> antiviral oh. preparation, but yeah. if, yours, yeah. if yours is still lingering, mm-hmm. add, add to the uh, herbal preparations you've been using, add to it some bioflavonoids with yeah. vitamin C and bromelain. Now, oh. that combination... I'm beginning to realise is a, a, an undiscovered gem, the way in which bioflavonoids, which mm-hmm. by the way are natural substances extracted from fruits, vegetables and herbs, yes. the way in which they come together in, in a powdered or tableted preparation, to reinforcing other oral medication. I mm-hmm. spoke about that today when I was talking about a sinus case that I've recently treated, you get onto some bioflavonoids with vitamin C and bromelain and keep taking your astragalus 8. Vitamin C and bromelain. Yeah, that comes, usually comes together in, in a preparation. I can't mention it, but it's no. easy, easily located. Get hold of that. You use it with your astragalus 8 formula. I don't think you need to much, use much more than that, and I think you'd uh, get a better result. Because um, I'll just mention to you, my sister mentioned to me about yes. a chap who does her massage, etc., mm-hmm. and a herbalist, yeah. garlic, ginger, lemon, and honey, yep. and steep it and put vitamin C powder with it yeah, we and to, sip it. We, we used to call that kicker germ joy juice. <laughs> and <laughs> I was hoping it would, but it still hasn't. <laughs> and look, it's, a, it's, a nice, it's a nice folk medicine, which, uh, you yeah. know, it's, it's, yeah, put it that way. But I think you need something. A little bit more soundly based. So bioflavonoids yeah, and, and, and vitamin and, and, C powder. Well, it all, they, they generally comes in one preparation. 
take that with your astragalus state. I think you'll probably find you're on the you're walking away from it in any case. Excellent. All the best with that, Leone. And Grant has rung in on four nine two one six two one six from Ties Hill. Now you were listening to a program recently, and it was all about UTI, and you've got a question about that, Grant. Yes. Hello, Grant. Hello, Dennis. Uh, yes, I just got the tail end of it last week. Uh, UTI, you suggested cranberry juice and something starting with B. Okay. I was talking about the South African herb called buku, B-U-C-H-U. B-U-C-A-U. Now, B-U-C-H-U, buku. H-U, yep, yep. Botanically known as Barosma betulina. Okay. Now, it's, it's uh, good if you can procure it just as a simple dried herb. And yep. u- and use it as a, as a warm infusion. That's the way in which it's traditionally been used, not just in Southern Africa, but in most English-speaking countries. Where I said last week, Buku up till the Second World War was called up in most of the British pharmaceutical codexes as a as a medication, particularly for UTIs. It works. It still works. Nothing has changed. There is an explanation for it, and when taken with a good preparation of cranberry, has given me pleasant results in helping many people. All right, so when you say a warm infusion, that's a warm tea, yeah. isn't it? Uh, w- yep. what, what you would do in making any infusion, you, you bring the, the water, obviously, to the boil. Yep. Because uh, the, the boiling water uh, penetrates the dried herb better than cold water. So yep. you boil it, you pour it on the, the uh, say, teaspoonful of the dried herb, and, yep. uh, and you let it stand there, and the, the infusion process takes place. When the uh, preparation is warm, um, you yep. then strain off the, uh, the infusion and drink it, uh, and you're harnessing the chemistry of the herb in a warm, pleasant infusion. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Grant. And thank you for your call, Grant. Um, and at this stage, Dennis, um, well, let's take a look back at early in your career mm-hmm. and uh, what was it that made you, made you most excited about look, being... Uh, it, <laughs> I could talk about this all day. I think the most exciting thing was to actually go and discover that many of the herbs that I had been reading about and studying and had been examined on grew in this country and I had the, the, the great experience and I remember it well of taking a group of people from Sydney who belonged to the Commonweal Club in Sydney, a, a, a great organisation, I don't think it um, exists now. Uh, the president was a, a lovely doctor, Dr Lindsay Grant. I owe a lot to that man, a real gentleman who had an interest in herbs and he asked me to do a field excursion and I'd never done one of these before, so I took with me Audrey Hatfield's book, How to Enjoy Your Weeds. I still have a copy of that, a beautiful book. Wonderful, one, wonderful woman and a lovely book. <laughs> and we went round Gosford, and I stumbled across Stingy Nettle. I found Yellow Dock. I found Chickweed. And it was just the whole thing came alive. I suddenly realised that what I'd been studying and talking about and using they were actually there, and to get samples of them and to see them and to see the excitement of people also in discovering these things that had medicinal properties, that has never left me. And all my life in teaching hundreds of students, we've conducted field excursions, and that's been the high point 
of my uh, teaching career, taking people out into the field and, and letting them feel and touch the herb. It's the only way, really, in my opinion, that you can be a herbalist. That was the high point, suddenly realising that these things were there and I could pick them up and see them, not just prescribe them. And a lot of our herbs do come from other countries, well, they don't do. they, either for Asia oh, they do. or from they America. Do. They, but... they do indeed. In, in fact, Australia with, you know, Australia's a, a fantastic place because we have input from so many different cultures and so many different herbs now grow here from many of those cultures. It's great to be an Australian herbalist. <laughs> <laughs> and really nice that there are things around us in our normal everyday life which actually are really useful for our help. Well, 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 well no, yeah. no doubt about that. Uh, yeah. you know, look at calendula, calendula officinalis, greater marigold. Well, I mean, one of the most remarkable herbs uh, converted into an ointment or a cream. Nothing will heal an incisional wound like a preparation of calendula cream. The, 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 the English doctor, Dr Dorothy Shepherd, again, another great English um, medical practitioner, maybe a little bit eccentric, but anyone interested in these sorts of things is considered eccentric. But, uh, but uh, she wrote a lovely book entitled The Physician's Posy. And in that, she as a doctor spoke about using a preparation of calendula that she used when she was delivering babies and when there was a tear or where a procedure had to take place, she would use calendula, cream or tincture, and the wound, the incision and the tear would heal up faster than anything that you'd ever use. A lovely doctor. And that's just around, mm, around mm. the corner. It Dennis Stewart, thank you very much for Health Naturally today, and uh, you'll be back next Friday. It's on to a new RFM.